Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Finish Line Physical Therapy New York City Marathon panel. The other night, we had a little event at the clinic where we had five experts talk to an audience of about 50 people about the New York City Marathon, what to expect on race day, and just some tips and tricks for how to execute race day and accomplish your goals uh, to the best of your ability. So for those who didn't get to make it to the clinic, uh, we have all of that audio here for you. Uh, so I'll get to that in a minute, but first I just wanna say a quick shout out to our panelists from the other night. We had Scott Partuka, Nikki Schock, Jorge Aguilar, Sam Jacobson, one of our physical therapists, and Farah Vislaley, uh, one of our administrators here at Finish Line, who was the moderator for the night. So um, without further ado, please listen along and gain all the information that you can to execute the marathon race day to the best of your ability. All right, thanks. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, thank you, everybody, for coming. My name is Hannah. I am the marketing lead at Finish Line. For those of you who have not been here before, welcome. This is Finish Line Physical Therapy. We specialize in the endurance runner, athlete, triathlete. Um, we are your one-stop shop for recovery. We have the Norma Tech boots, infrared sauna, cryo. Um, we like to treat, uh, you know, we think we like to treat a little bit differently where we approach the full body, not just kind of the pain source. We like to find where that injury is and, you know, help you heal from there. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Farah, our moderator. Hello. Um, as Hannah said, my name is Farah. I also work here at Finish Line um, behind the front desk for the most part. So I recognize some familiar faces here. Um, I'm gonna introduce our expert panel here um, after I tell you very briefly about myself. Um, I just ran my 18th marathon in Chicago over the weekend. Thank you. And I'm the one who has to stand tonight. I don't know how that worked out. Uh, I'm fine, I'm joking. <laughs> I feel good. Um, so, uh, you know, I do also coach, um, I coach with New York Roadrunners. Um, so I have some insider info um, and I coach with a group called BK Run Project. Um, but I think more than anything, my qualification for being here tonight is I am a New York City Marathon super fan. I think it's the best day of the year in New York City. I love it. It's fantastic. Um, and you all are going to have so much fun. Um, so I will introduce you to our real experts here. Um, we have sitting next to me, Nikki Schock. She is the owner of Elevate Performance Sports. She is a certified sports nutritionist and also a triathlete since 2004. Nikki has also run the New York City Marathon. Um, do you want to say anything else about yourself? <laughs> Next, we have Sam Jacobson, who is a PT here at Finish Line. Sam is also a coach. Um, she is currently training for her eighth marathon, California International, and has been running half and full marathons since she was 15. And my fun fact here is that Sam only started running after a bet of $50 per mile for her first half marathon. <laughs> Uh, when she was 15, like who wouldn't take that bet when you're 15 or even now? Um, so that's fun. And she is still running unpaid. <laughs> um, next over, we have Jorge Aguilar, who is a psychiatrist and mental performance coach at Sports Strata. He runs with the Boogie Down Bronx Runners. Um, he was selected by New York Roadrunners to be on their official team Inspire for the 2022 New York City Marathon. So He's our only panelist who has not yet run the New York City Marathon, but he's been training alongside all of you, which is very exciting. 
Um, and then finally, we have Scott Bartuka, who is the New York Harriers head coach. His 11 years of coaching experience, he's run 30 marathons, including six Bostons, one ultra, and over 40 half marathons. Quite, quite a, a bit of experience. Um, so we are all here to tell you about the New York City Marathon. Um, before we jump in, I just want to do a little audience questionnaire. Um, has anyone here already run the New York City Marathon in the past? Show of hands. Okay. All right. We got a few people. So you all are who are going to know if we say something incorrect. So that's good for us to know. Um, who here is running their first marathon ever as part of New York City this year? All right. Awesome. Very exciting. You guys are going to love it. Um, okay. That is, that's great. We got a lot of first timers and we have a lot of useful info to impart on you. Um, so let's jump right in. We're going to move through this sort of chronologically, starting with, uh, you know, what we're all expecting with this last few weeks of training, last long runs, heading into the taper. And then of course the race itself, the course, um, all things, you know, nutrition, hydration, uh, you know, what the course is actually going to be like training questions. So, uh, let's, let's get to it. Um, so many of us are heading into our last long run, whether it's our longest run or one of our last long runs, about three and a half weeks out. Um, so I just want to know actually from everyone, since you are all experienced runners, what is your best tip for heading into this sort of like peak week? Just go down the line. Um, since I'm a nutrition person, I would say dress rehearsal for, for race day down to what you eat the night before, breakfast, clothes, all of that. Everything you think you're going to be doing during the race, practice on that long run. Because knowing how your body tolerates those things is gonna be really important information to have. Um, my answer is a little bit more physical therapy based. So I would say if now you're dealing with any of those little naggles or anything that's annoying you, and now is, def now is definitely the time to get it addressed, don't just keep chugging through those miles and expect it to just magically go away on race day. Um, and then really emphasize the recovery and the time off uh, for those next couple of weeks. I agree, the, uh, the key word is routine, routine. Uh, the more things that you can replicate uh, during this big long run that will take place during the race, um, the more comfortable you will feel during the race because it's something you've done before. You've taken the gel and the water at this time mark or mile marker. And when you feel like you've done this before, you feel more confident. And when you feel more confident, you perform your best. I got my own. <laughs> uh, but I'm just gonna take that another step further and just to make sure that uh, in your runs and especially in your long runs that you're running, uh, picking a route that kind of simulates the New York City course. Uh, which by that I mean run some hills. Uh, don't do your long runs all up and down the West Side Highway. Um, if you haven't run over the Queensboro Bridge before, incorporate that into your run. The Pulaski Bridge, run over part of the course. That way you can experience before race day. Awesome, great tips, thank you. Um, all right, so heading into the taper, um, which is when we start to cut back on our mileage and our intensity as we get closer to the race, um, there's this little thing called the taper crazies that you may or may not be familiar with. Um, so, uh, what I want to know from Jorge is how do we not get, like, how do we not psych ourselves out during this time? How do we remain calm and, you know, not expect that like every little thing means we're dying and that's it. It's over. We can't run. 
Um, you got any tips for us? Yeah, sure. So there's a couple of reasons you want to reduce the crazies. Uh, one is because it's it stinks. It doesn't feel very good. The the second reason is because it might drive you to do something crazy, like think that oh maybe I have I can do this extra thing to prepare a little more and then get hurt before towing the starting line. So who here is feeling anxious about the race? Who's not feeling anxious about the race? <laughs> well, you've done it before. Okay, that helps. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's completely normal that you feel anxious about the race. Um, our brains have evolved over millions of years to become finally, finally sensitive to any perceived threat. And when your mind knows you're about to run 26.2 miles, your body is probably thinking, oh my God, you're in danger. You're gonna dehydrate, you could die, you know, all these things. And so it's very natural to, to feel that way. Um, but that's because our brain has evolved for so long to catastrophize or, you know, to blow things out of proportion. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we can't tell that part of ourselves to just shut up or go away. Uh, it'll just make that part of you get even louder uh, and maybe even become your enemy, make things worse. And so the trick is to just acknowledge that part of you that feels anxious. Yeah, I feel anxious. And then unpack it. Why is it that I feel anxious? And as you unpack it, you'll probably see that it's more based on fantasies than on realities. And so going through that process and then maybe even taking it a bit further and acknowledging or honoring that part of you that's making you feel anxious because it's a part of you that's trying to protect you. It's trying to do you a good. And you'll find that that anxiety is going to go down a little bit. Awesome. Thank you. I also just feel like that's like just really good life advice. So, you know, I'll take that with us. Um, all right. Uh, as we get down, you know, getting closer to the race as part of the taper, we may also start to second guess our goal pace. If we have a goal pace or we may be trying to come up with we want what we want our goal pace to be. Um, so, Scott, I'm wondering if you have, have any advice for us on um, whether it's, you know, how to decide on that goal pace or, or how to, you know, really kind of feel confident in what we're trying to do on race day. Yeah, so I'm just going to reiterate that um, it's very, very normal to be nervous and to start second guessing all of your training, your goals. Um, I have now 31 marathons I, I've now done, and I still get nervous. I still doubt um, the goal that I set for myself at the very beginning. You know, it's like once we get past that last long run and we're starting to run less, we start to think, wait, I have only run 20 miles in my training. Am I really going to be able to run 26? Am I really, I've never run over 20 miles at my goal pace. Am I really, how am I really going to be able to do that? That's normal. Uh, and now is the time to just trust that the training is going to work. Um, but in terms of your, your goal pace, um, it's also now the time to really honestly assess how your training has gone. Uh, if you have done uh, a tune-up race, a half, maybe you did Staten Island or some other half or Bronx 10, see how that went. Um, you know, if it didn't go as well as you had hoped, uh, be honest again. How were the race conditions? Were you fatigued going into it? Um, and, you know, if you had marathon pace runs built into your plan, uh, were you hitting those paces? Were you not? And, you know, tweak your goals based on that. Um, there are countless uh, pace predictors online that'll take into uh, past races. And 
I am cautioning you to take those with a grain of salt. Um, they're good uh, kind of as markers of what maybe you can expect. Um, but this is uh, also a really good time. I'm a big proponent of tiered goals. Uh, so A, B, C, maybe even a D goal. And the whole point of that is if, say, you're not having so great a day and it happens, uh, you still have another goal you can fall back to that'll keep you going. Or maybe you're having an exceptionally uh, wonderful day and it gives you something to push towards. So now's the time to start thinking about those. So an A goal would be uh, like, if everything absolutely goes perfect, you have perfect racing conditions, you're just on on that day, your A goal is what might, might be possible uh, under those circumstances. Your B goal is still ambitious. It's still something where everything has to work correctly, uh, but it's a little bit more realistic. I say that your B goal is the goal that you're going for. Um, and then C goal is something that, you know, maybe it's not your day, but it's still something you'd be very happy to run. And then maybe even a D goal is, say it's your first marathon, it's just to finish, um, which when things aren't going well, it can feel really Herculean. So the whole idea is that this helps kind of um, it'll give you something to work towards, but also to fall back on so that all is not lost if things aren't there. And so this is a good time to take in all of your training and apply it to those tiered goals. Thanks, Scott. Um, all right. So heading into, you know, the week leading up to the marathon, um, you know, some people might be thinking, okay, last ditch effort, you know, I'm gonna, you know, you might be thinking all sorts of crazy things at that point. Right. So I want to know from Sam, what should we do during that last week leading up to it, you know, with our bodies and such, um, but also what should we not do? Cause maybe that list is longer. <laughs> uh, so in these last two weeks, how many weeks out are we officially? Three and a half. Okay. So we still have a little bit of time. Um, and especially those last two weeks, I find that everyone tries to throw everything at those last two weeks, especially if again, something is starting to creep up, uh, in a muscle and join and you're starting to feel maybe not as good as you felt a couple weeks ago, everything gets thrown at it. Physical therapy, acupuncture, deep tissue massages. I need cupping. I need dry needling all of these things, right? Like we've all, we're all laughing because we've been there before. Um, so I would say there's probably way more psych that goes into that part of it, but, um, try not to throw, try not to change every variable, right? So if something is bothering you, and then you change five things, it's gonna be really hard for you to know what actually is working. So let's first maybe consult with someone if you are experiencing um, an actual ache or pain, but then just maybe like you can spend a little bit more time on your foam roller, maybe focus on mobility since you are running a little bit less, kind of use that time wisely, but also not the time to spend 20 minutes foam rolling your quad just because you feel like you should be. And also like a note about that, Foam rolling really doesn't even need to take that long. So maybe just like two to three minutes on each body part. Um, don't get too crazy about it. Again, like same with, if you're someone that stretches, not the time that you need to feel the need to do 30 minutes of stretching. Um, and then even like, don't add anything that new to the mix. So probably not the start, not the time to panic that you haven't been strength training, even though maybe you should have been. And now is not the time to like bring strength training into the routine two to three times a week. Um, same goes for yoga and anything like that. Um, the other thing I will say is cause I, this kind of happens a lot. So the, the taper cold is, is pretty common, right? People start to feel run down in those last couple of weeks. 
Um, one thing I'll say about that is people, we, I love the compression sleeves, but if you're experiencing a true cold and you're super congested, also not the time to sit in the compression sleeves for really that long at all. It'll kind of move all the lymph around and might even start to make you feel a little bit worse. So just kind of a helpful hint that I've definitely had to apply to myself before. Um, but yeah, so nothing too new, keep everything in moderation and, uh, don't add anything too new to the structure. May I ask you a quick follow-up question, which yeah. is, uh, if you are someone who likes a pre-marathon massage, yeah. what is the appropriate time frame for that? Um, so I am totally cool with a pre-marathon massage. I even like, I would say maybe 48 hours would probably be like the last time I would go for it. Um, but make sure whatever, if you're going to massage therapist or physical therapist, tell them you are running the New York city marathon. So they don't drop the people's elbow too hard into <laughs> said body part. Um, so make sure you tell them and then they will be able to appropriately modify what that massage should look like. Thank you. All right. So still thinking about the week before, um, let's talk about carbs. Yum. My favorite topic. Um, so Nikki, what should we be eating the week before and even the days leading up? Um, how should we be possibly changing what we're eating when to start hydrating? What do we do? Um, okay. I wasn't going to start off with carbs, but <laughs> now I feel pressure to talk about carbs. Okay. First, I was going to share my taper period anxiety with you all. No fail every single time during my taper periods, I will walk up a flight of stairs and be like, oh my God, my legs are so heavy. I do not know how this is going to happen like every single time. So that happens, but it's never a problem. Okay. That's just in my head. Um, okay. Back to the nutrition week before taper time. We definitely have more time on our hands. Also not the time to, um, decide to try a new restaurant or any new food, right? If you know, there are foods that don't sit well with you a week out, do not have them. Anything spicy. If it irritates your stomach, anything that, you know, irritates your digestive tract week out, stop it. Do not have new, new foods. Even alcohol can be an irritant to the digestive tract. So thinking about that, like, even if you like to have a glass of wine with your dinner, if you need it, maybe for the mental release, fine. But like, if you're thinking GI stuff, you know, definitely something to consider. Um, okay. And then, you know, what do you want to think about going into race day? Like, yes, as we get closer to the race, you want to increase carbs, but it doesn't have to be um, this massive onboarding of every carb, you know, that you can think of. Um, two to three days out, you know, each meal, you want to have foods that you normally eat, and then agree with you, and just maybe one additional serving of carbohydrate with each of those meals. So that could be an additional piece of fruit, an additional piece of bread, you know, a little bit, if you're having like rice or pasta, a little bit more of those things, but you don't need to you know, you still want to think about your adequate protein intake that you're taking, right? You're just going to be adding a little bit more carb as you go. Um, do you want me to talk about the, the night? Are we talking about the night before? Or, or, um, okay, let me talk about hydration first and that because this is another, um, I think, common thing that, that people get concerned about in the week before. 
you don't want to add a lot of excess plain water that you wouldn't have normally be drinking anyway. Um, having too much plain water can actually dilute your, your internal sodium stores, which will not help you on race day. So you want to be drinking adequate water, but again, nothing, you know, way over and above what you would normally take. And in the days, you know, the two to three days before, think about maybe having um, a little bit more sodium with that water. So, you know, a noon tab or something else like that, that you might have tried and sits well with you, works with you, or you can salt your food just a little bit extra um, to just, the sodium helps keep water in. Um, and that's gonna help be what really helps you in terms of being appropriately hydrated for race day. Um, and then night before. Um, so night before that meal, like I said before, the meal that you're gonna have the night before the race, you wanna practice having that meal the night before your last long run, just to make sure you feel good um, in terms of it. And again, this is also knowing what, what sits well with you and what doesn't. Some people can continue to have high fiber foods all the way up until race day morning. Other people need to eliminate those things because they do irritate their digestive tract a little bit more. So, so knowing yourself and knowing what may or may not irritate you, again, I'm just gonna put that on there and then increase in carbs, but don't forget about the protein. Yeah, same, same really. <laughs> Thank you, Nikki. All right, so continuing to think about the night before, um, Sam, should I stretch the night before the marathon? If you normally do, again, like kind of harping on this dress rehearsal idea. So all most, with the exception of maybe some the following week, but most longest runs are probably happening this weekend, right? Um, so whatever your pre-run routine is in terms of mobility, foam rolling, activation, whatever it is, we're doing that this upcoming weekend. We're doing it the night before, if you're doing it the morning of, and then that is going to carry over for, for race day. So again, like you haven't been stretching this whole cycle and again, not the time to spend 10 minutes in a pigeon pose just because you feel like you need to. So like night moderation, um, mobility is not going to hurt, but too much of it might be something that your body isn't necessarily used to. Okay. What about, what about mentally? How do we prepare mentally the night before Jorge? Scotch. <laughs> um, so uh, a, a lot of elite athletes uh, actually engage in, in this thing called visualization the night before their big game or their big race. Uh, and it's something that helps them stick to the plan during their, their big competition. Um, so what would that look like for us as marathoners going into that big race? Um, you know, picturing what it would look like through your eyes running that race, um, trying to employ all five senses, what that feels like, what that smells like, what that sounds like from mile zero all the way to 26.2, which I know most of the crowd is probably thinking, how the heck, I've never run this race. I have no idea what it looks like. Well, luckily for you, there's a nice video on YouTube where people have like time-lapse recorded the whole thing. And so you can start doing that tonight, this week, uh, just to get in your mind, you know, visually what that's going to look like. And then the night before the race, you can just visually rehearse what the race is going to be like, every step of it. Uh, but perhaps the biggest tip mentally before the race, I would say, is just stick to your sleep routine. Don't try anything new. Go to bed at the same time you usually do. 
if you brush your teeth or shower or you know take a bath before you go to sleep normally, do that. Um, and worst case scenario, if if the heebie-jeebies are getting the best of you, um, you know, I would recommend uh, keeping in mind something that uh, you know world famous running coach Jack Daniels uh, once said. Uh, this is a guy that has coached for decades, record holders. Uh, he said that he had many athletes who, despite terrible sleep, either because they had the heebie-jeebies or whatever reason, their spouse gave birth the day before, <laughs> they still managed to perform incredibly the next day and even break records. And, and so he is convinced that even if you sleep poorly the night before, it's not gonna significantly impact the performance. It might not feel as good, but you still perform just as well. And when you think of, of that, your anxiety should go down a little bit and you should be able to fall asleep easier. Thank you. Yeah, I always tell people like the night before, like none of, no one's sleeping the night before. No one's getting good sleep. You're just, I mean, if you are, congratulations, you're <laughs> special, but like most of us are not, right? We're, we're anxious, whatever. So I like to think about the night before the night before, making sure I'm getting good sleep that night because I just know the next day is like lost cause. So that's my, that's my pro tip about sleep. Um, Scott, what are we missing? What else are we doing the night before to prepare? I mean, you basically said everything that I would have. Um, uh, I was even going to say, you know, two nights out about sleep, but um, yeah, just do, I mean, basically that whole day is a really good day to watch. Is it for a movie marathon, staying off your feet? If you can go to the expo on Thursday or Friday, don't go on Saturday. Um, yeah. And just, yeah, don't worry. Don't worry about sleep eat nice and early, lay out all your clothes, do whatever you need to do to set yourself up for success the, uh, the following morning. And that's gonna be a little different for each of us. I do wanna reiterate one thing you just said, which is lay out all your clothes. This is like, lay them out, lay everything out, take a photo of it, put it on the internet. This is good for several reasons. One, you will see if you forgot anything or other people will see if you forgot anything and they'll let you know. And also it lets people know who are maybe cheering for you, what you're gonna be wearing and know what to look for when you're on the course. So lay everything out, put your shirt that you're going to wear, you know, with your bib on it, put your bib, pin your bib on, do all the things because the less you have to think about the next morning, the better, given the sort of logistical nightmare, I mean that kindly, that is the New York City Marathon start. So definitely think about that, you know, while you still have your brain cells working for you the night before, not necessarily, you know, 5am the morning, the next day. Um, let's talk about the morning a little bit. Um, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about sort of, you know, the logistics of um, getting to the start. But before we jump into that, I'm going to hand it back to Nikki to just sort of talk us through how and what and when we should be kind of eating and drinking that morning of. Yeah, in terms of eating, so you're going to have to think, plan out your morning, right? And think about what time you're waking up, what time you're leaving your house, how long you're going to be at the start before um, you have to get in your corral. Um, and, and the time really matters um, in determining what you're gonna eat. So the longer you have, the more, um, the larger of a meal and the, the more mixed components you can have in that meal, right? So if you think about it in terms of three hours and greater, you know, you can have a full mixed meal, meaning mixed meaning, you know, you can have carbohydrates, you can have protein, you can have fat in that, um, and you should. When you wake up, I know a lot of us are nervous. We're you know, trying to get all the stuff together because we have to leave. 
Um, not everyone feels like eating at that time. You know, you, you ate a lot for dinner and you're probably not hungry, but trying to eat something if possible is great. If you can't eat it, make sure it's something you can take with you. Okay. And then, and you want that to be a little bit larger of a meal, right? And you're going to practice that meal this weekend before your last long run. And then you're going to pack some snacks with you, right? So the closer in time you get to race start, um, the more things you're going to have to take away from what you're eating. And so in that last hour, you should only be eating carbohydrate um, foods. And so if that's, you know, a banana that you have in that last hour, you know, other snack things. Um, but as you get down in time, you're going to want to not have protein. You're going to want to not have fat. Um, so that's, those are things to think about. In terms of drinking, again, not chugging plain water. You don't want to be chugging the water. You want to have some electrolytes there and sipping it um, over the course of a long time frame because you absorb more of that um, by sipping. And you want to finish drinking anything that you have at least and one hour, at least one hour before you're going to start running so that you can discard anything you don't absorb. Okay. I mean, I will say one thing about that is just yeah. from a logistical standpoint with yeah. New York, you have to get in the corral so early. Yeah. So you might want to take that take into a, account. Yeah. Well, just in terms of going to the bathroom and oh, before you get in. Sort of there are? Yeah. That wasn't in my corral. <laughs> But yeah. you're a guy. Well, I, I, I mean, I all kinds oh, of I, well, I participate in that as well, but not everybody can. <laughs> all right, let's let's keep talking about the start. Um, so, just as much preparation as you can do beforehand. That that's the name of the game on race morning. So, I think most people you probably know by now. If you're taking a ferry, if you're taking a bus, you figured out you know how that's gonna go. Um, so, you know, make sure, go on the MTA website, see what, make sure the train is running, make sure the R train or whatever is going to get you down to the ferry. Um, you can even, so that early in the morning, there is a, there is a schedule for the subway. Many people don't know this because it's never running on schedule, but there is a schedule. You can look it up online and you can see because, you know, the earlier it is, the more spaced out the trains are, right? So you can go on and you can look up and see, okay, there's a 520 train and then there's not another one until 540. So make sure you make the 520. And at that time of the morning, it will come on time. Um, so that's that's my advice is just to kind of have in your head like your time frame when you need to leave, um, you know, to get your ferry or to get your bus, um, and uh, make sure that the train you want to take is running because that's the other thing, right? It's a weekend, it's a Sunday, uh, the time has changed, everything is crazy, you know, that clocks go back an hour. So there's just there's just a lot to think about. So again, just control what you can control. Um, figure out as much as you can, you know, the night before, the day before, so that you're ready, uh, ready to go and, you know, leave the house on time that morning of. Um, and then, and then we get there. And then what? We sit around on Staten Island for a little bit, right? <laughs> Depending on, on your wave and, you know, when you get there. Um, so we probably need some tips on, like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing while we hang out on Staten Island waiting for the race to start? What are we doing with our body, Sam? Um, so race day morning is usually a little bit cold. Um, so kind of note on that, make sure you have throwaway clothes. Uh, a lot of people are starting to switch their closets over. So I can't tell you how many times people donate all of their clothes right now and then realize that they need throwaway clothes in three weeks. So stash some of those aside. Um, 
bring some layers. It gets chilly. It's like a big open field. It's definitely cold. With that also comes like crouched positions and we're like cold and we're shivering in, in place, right? So I would say move around again, not excessively. Um, you're going to be taking quite a few bathroom breaks. So, but try not to be just sitting for too long. I don't want you walking laps around the village, but um, stay moving a bit. I would say personally, we, uh, I always bring a voodoo band or a mobility floss band, which they're on like some of the tables around here. They're just a little red band. Um, this has been uh, my, my personal trick for the past couple of years, but it basically is something that you just can tie around a, any given limb and you can kind of tie it around for a couple minutes. You can move around with it. And then when you take it off, blood flow rushes back to the area and it just feels a little bit lighter. I don't know if it just gives me something to do um, or if it just kind of like keeps me a little bit distracted, but it's something that will be good for your muscles. Um, it's not counterproductive in any way. And they're like 10 bucks on Amazon. So you won't feel guilty about leaving it at the start. So that's my definite go-to thing. Um, another thing you can do is like maybe bring, if you're someone who has a little engagement routine before, um, bring that band with you again, like either bring the one that you're using or get one on Amazon that you won't feel guilty about leaving there. And then if you see a movement specialist or a PT, you can ask them like, can you give me a specific routine that I could bring with me to the race start that I can do right before I get in the corral? Um, again, not the time to be doing all sorts of crazy stuff that you don't normally do, but definitely want to keep moving a little bit. Or you could just keep getting online for the porta potties. You could just go, and then as soon as you go, you get online again. That would be one way to like move a little bit, but not too much. It's just a thought. Um, there are so just to go back to that, there there should be porta potties in the crowds. Last year, what happened was the race, the field was reduced so much because no international people could come run, but they kept the same number of porta potties as ever. So it was like glorious, glorious porta potty situation. So I don't think it'll be quite that good this year because the field size is back up, but maybe they like learned and will add porta potties. I don't know, but, but that is like, you know, there will be lines. So let's just say that. Um, do you, Scott, do you have anything to add about like morning of anything from your experience? I mean, I'm probably not a great example of what to do before the race. Cause I just <laughs> sit and shiver. Um, so listen to what don't Sam do said, don't listen to what I say, but yeah, you know, like if you're in the routine of doing dynamic stretches, that sort of thing, um, I, that's a very good thing to do before the race. Um, obviously, you're about to run 26 miles, so um, I'm a big fan of just using the first mile as kind of my warm-up to ease into the run. Um, I don't want to be on my feet too much more than I need to, so that's what I do. We're going to get into the race itself momentarily. Before we do, I just have one question for Jorge, which is um, if you are someone who like knows you'll be feeling sort of, let's say, emotionally overwhelmed, is what's what's the move there? Do you try and calm yourself or do you channel that into like excitement, adrenaline? Do you, do you use it or do you like chill? What's what's the best approach there? Depends on the athlete. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, is it is it fair to say you guys have run lots of marathons? Is it fair to say that they're probably going to feel a little bit of the nerves right before the race? A little bit of anxiety, yeah. right? That's, that, that might be bad news to your ears right now. You're probably gonna feel a little anxious right before the gun goes off. Uh, here's the good news. In, in all likelihood, uh, that anxiety is probably gonna be your friend. Uh, and, 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 um, and here's why. Uh, that anxiety 
is gonna cause your heart to beat a little faster. It's gonna help more blood circulate to your legs for that race. It's gonna help your pupils dilate so you can see better. It's gonna get your body in fight or flight mode, um, which is how you wanna be right before a big race. Um, and so the problem is that if that anxiety gets too high, um, you know, it can, it can be detrimental to your performance. You could have a panic attack, for example. But if it's not there at all, it, that's also gonna hurt your performance. You want your anxiety to be somewhere in that sweet spot. So here are two tricks of the trade in sports psychiatry to help you get your anxiety right at that sweet spot. One, a little bit of self-talk. So tell yourself something that is true, that is real, that your mind, your brain will believe so that your body will believe it. Tell yourself, okay, I feel a little anxious right now, but that's cool. That's just my body's way of getting ready to perform right now. You'll feel a little better. And if that's not enough, another trick of the trade is six deep breaths over the course of one minute. So four breaths in, four breaths out, hold for two, repeat times six, that's one minute. You'll find that your respiratory rate and your heart rate will decrease to a more comfortable level. All right, great. Um, let's get this course map pulled up and let's get into it. All right. Okay. Let's see. How do how do we do this? <laughs> All right. The start is over here on the left. Finish finish on the right. Okay. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk you through this briefly, and then we'll get into you know questions and what to expect. Um, so as, as we all know, we start on Staten Island, right? We don't really run. We just run over the Verrazano Bridge. We start on Staten Island. Um, we go over the bridge. The bridge, yes, it's a hill because it's a bridge. Uh, it is a hill, in my opinion, you will barely even notice. It's, you know, technically it's like the highest part of the race, but you're so like, you're so in the moment and there's so many people and the view, it's like incredible. So you're not really even going to realize you're, you're going up a hill maybe you'll realize you're going down the hill when you're going down the hill, which yay. Um, so that's, I mean, that's like two, that bridge is almost two miles. Um, so you go up for about a mile, you go down for about a mile. You come off the bridge and you are in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. And you are in Brooklyn for a good chunk of this race. Um, here's the thing that I will say about Brooklyn. The crowds are excellent. They, I think they're a little underrated. Everyone talks about First Avenue. The crowds along 4th Avenue in Brooklyn where you come off the bridge and then you, you're on that 4th Avenue for several miles. And it gets nice and wide too. Depending on what color you're assigned to, you're gonna be on one side of 4th Avenue or the other. Um, but you will, have, you will have plenty of space regardless of what side you're on. Um, and you will be excited because there's some sort of rolling hills on 4th Avenue, but 4th Avenue itself isn't too bad. A little up, a little down. Um, but nothing major, nothing you'll really like see with your eyes. Um, but you might be excited because the crowds are getting you kind of amped up. So chill out, don't get too excited. It's easy to happen. Um, and then you get into, we get, you know, we come off of Fourth Avenue, we're in um, Fort Greene now, mile eight, eight to nine. This is my favorite part of the course. It's like, it gets very narrow here on Lafayette the crowds will be like in your face, but in a really fun way. It's like, a, it's a massive block party, super fun to spectate, um, speaking from experience, um, but it's also super fun to run through. But just again, like be patient. Don't try and weave around people. It's still early in the race. You might be tempted to because it, it does 
get quite tight, um, but just enjoy it. Just, it's so fun this part. And again, with Lafayette, you will have a little bit of up and a little bit of down, um, just kind of, again, rolling. Um, and then you make a left turn on to Bedford. Here you are in Bed-Stuy, you make this big left turn. Um, this is a good spot to cheer and see people too. Um, in my opinion, this is about, uh, it's about a 15K, um, nine, nine and a half or so. Um, and then you go through Bedford, you go all the way through Bed-Stuy, through Williamsburg, it's going to get a little quiet as you get into Hasidic Williamsburg. There's not a lot of cheering that happens there. Um, and then we get into hipster Williamsburg and then the cheering comes back, right? So these are just what to know, what to expect. Um, you know, it's the New York City Marathon, but there are some parts where the crowds are not like 100% um, densely packed. Um, what do we do from there? So we go, we go through Williamsburg, we go into Greenpoint. Greenpoint is so fun also. There are donuts, there are people... Um, you go over the Pulaski Bridge, eventually. Greenpoint is like pretty quick. You're gonna, you come off Bedford, you make a, what is it, a left onto Manhattan Avenue, right? Sound right? <laughs> and then uh, Greenpoint Avenue, McGinnis Avenue. There's like some turns, but, but it's not over a long stretch of time. Um, and then McGinnis takes you over the Pulaski Bridge, another hill. Also the halfway point. Also, I think there's a bagpiper. So just again, like, like landmarks to look out for. Um, halfway point though is right on that Pulaski Bridge. So this is your, you know, your halfway check-in with yourself um, up and over the Pulaski Bridge. And then we go, then we're in Queens. I honestly, I don't really know what happens in Queens. Maybe Jeff could tell us because he lives there, but <laughs> not much happens in Queens. You, you come out of Long Island City. You're, yes, it's your, yeah, you're there pretty briefly. There's some turning. I don't know the names of the streets. I like whenever we do like the last 10, I always get lost here. So I'm just gonna, Queens happens. Um, and then we have, everyone knows the, the Queensboro Bridge, the 59th Street Bridge, the, the Ed Koch, what, what are we calling it now? Is that a different one? 59th Street, okay, it has like six names, but it's the bridge, right? This is mile 15. We're gonna talk about how to deal with this in a little bit. Um, but this is like the infamous bridge that if you can run over it and you have not yet, it would be very good practice just to know what to expect. Um, of course, it is another hill. Um, it does get a little quiet. You hear the pitter patter of the footsteps, but of course there's no one cheering on the bridge. So you're kind of just alone with your thoughts here. Um, Jorge, you'll help us figure out how to deal with that. And then you come off the bridge, you do start to hear the crowd on First Avenue. Mile 16 is approaching. Um, and then you're on First Avenue going up for a really long time. But it's nice because the crowds are pretty great most of the way. Um, and it's relatively flat, nothing crazy hill-wise. Um, and it will get a little quieter as you continue north, the top of First Avenue. Um, and then of course we have another bridge to get us into the Bronx. And then we're in the Bronx for like a mile. The Bronx is super fun. It is. It, get, it gets a like, oh, they have to go to the Bronx for a mile, but it's actually very fun. The crowds, I will say, have gotten like better, I think, in recent years. Um, people are so nice there. They're cheering like crazy. They're giving you food. Um, it's really, it's a fun, it's only a mile, but it's a real fun mile. So you go over, and that bridge that you go over to get into the Bronx is not, it's, it's small, it's short, you know, it's not too crazy. Um, so don't worry too much about that. We go, we go kind of do a loop around the Bronx, you 
have another bridge to get you back to Manhattan. Um, and then we are Fifth Avenue. We're Fifth Avenue and we're running down Fifth Avenue, but then we have to do this weird little loop around Marcus Garvey Park. Okay, so you guys are all New Yorkers, so you know this, that is not Central Park. A lot of people who come in from out of town and they're like, all right, Central Park. Don't be fooled, it is not Central Park. I know you guys know this. Um, you'll, you'll see the park and be like, how do people think this is Central Park? Uh, but it happens. So you come down Fifth Avenue, you do this little loop around the park. Another like great cheering spot, people are great up there. Um, and then you just continue down Fifth Avenue and then you will see the actual park on your right, right? You get to 110th Street. And this is, this is a bit of a, a tricky mile. We're like mile like 22, 23 here. Um, this is a hill, Fifth Avenue. You will see it, you will feel it. You'll, you'll feel it even if it wasn't a hill because you're at mile 23, right? But there is a little bit of a hill here. So we're gonna help you figure out how to kind of prepare for that. Um, that's about a mile stretch to get you to the entrance to the park at Engineers Gate, 90th or so. So you'll go make a right turn into the park and then you are in Central Park. But wait, you do leave Central Park. So you go in Central Park, you make your left turn, you're running south along the, the drive there in the park. You got some rolling hills because we're in Central Park, some up, some down. This is what surprised me my first time here in New York City. I was like, downhill, yes. But no, I was like, downhill, no. It hurt. Like, I was not expecting that. So um, just know that sometimes downhill doesn't feel so great when you're at mile 24. But again, if you're expecting it, we'll, we'll figure out how to cope. Um, so mile 24 in the park, continuing on. And then you're like, I guess, are we at mile 25 yet when you exit the park? You exit the park um, at like Fifth Avenue, Grand Army Plaza area. Grand Army Plaza in Manhattan, not Brooklyn. Um, you make a right turn and then you run along the length of the bottom of the park, outside the park on Central Park South, uh, 59th Street. So you run the length of the park on the outside and then you go back into the park at Columbus Circle for your uphill finish. But it's very exciting. Okay, it is an uphill. But it's like, you won't know, you'll be so excited. You'll, you'll start to hear the crowds more. It's like the crowds are amazing there. You will see the finish line and you will just be pumped. Um, so that's it. That is my very brief course overview. We're, we're gonna talk about anything I may have missed, like Queens, I don't know. Um, and, uh, and how to approach it now that we have discussed what it does. Um, so, Scott, I'm going to tap you in here. Um, what's what's our what's a good pacing strategy for this, you know, kind of hilly course we got? All right. So, uh, I mean, the name of the game, and this is true for any marathon, is patience, um, and it's especially important in New York. One, because I would say the second half of the course is harder than the first half, and also because there's so much energy and. Uh, the crowd support is so strong that it's really easy to get going too fast too soon. Um, so we're thinking for as an overall strategy, even to slightly negative um, splits, um, and that's first half versus second half. Um, so a slightly conservative approach um, for the first half. And then, but because it's a hilly race, mile to mile uh, is gonna be inconsistent. So we're thinking even effort. So, you know, if you have a slightly uphill mile, 
accept and be okay with the fact that that mile is going to be maybe 10, 15 seconds slower. And then maybe on the backside of that mile, it's going to be a little faster and it all works out in the end. So even effort from mile to mile. Um, but I really want to talk about the first maybe four or five miles because I think they're very important in this race. Um, they're really important in any race just to kind of set you, yourself up for later on. Um, so your first mile, as far as if you're running uphill, you're not really going to feel it, even though it is technically the biggest hill in the course. Um, but you're going to be coming off of just standing in the crowds for a while. You haven't been moving. Um, and it is an uphill, and it's going to be crowded. So be OK with the first mile being a little slow. It might be 30 seconds slow. It might be a, a minute slow. That's OK. You have 25 more miles to make up that time. So uh, don't worry what people are doing around you. A lot of people really take off because they're excited. Um, but just be patient. Stick to your pace. Um, and then once you get to mile two, that is a very fast mile. Don't freak out because your first mile was so slow. Um, that And then just take off down that hill. It's very easy to do. I've seen a lot of people do it. Um, just let gravity pull you naturally down the hill. You will naturally speed up. Don't intentionally go bounding down the hill. That'll just trash your quads. You need that energy later. Um, similarly, sorry, back to the first mile. Also, because it's crowded, please don't weave. It's going to be very tempting to keep weaving around trying to find space, but that wastes a lot of energy. Uh, and again, you need that energy in mile 26, not in mile one, okay? Um, Mile three is kind of a mile after you get off the bridge where you're getting over to Fourth Avenue. Uh, but then once you get over there, uh, that's the time to really settle into your goal pace. And then you just become a running robot, just taking off the miles at an even effort. Again, there's going to be some variation, 10, 15 seconds between the miles. So, um, and just be patient. Uh, if once you get to First Avenue, you're really feeling it, go ahead and start thinking about maybe picking it up. Uh, once you hit the Bronx, that's when, if you're still, you've got some, something left in the tank, that's when you can start putting the uh, foot on the gas. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Scott. Um, let's see. Let's, let's talk about um, some of the more difficult parts of the course and how we deal with those mentally, Jorge. Um, so how do we, I mean, how do we prepare, let's say the, the Queensboro Bridge when it's all of a sudden you're at mile 15 and it's dead quiet. Um, and you'll probably see some people walking. Um, you know, it's, it's, I find it personally kind of hard to say like, all right, yay, running a marathon, you know, in that, in that moment. So how do we, how do we kind of prepare for that, approach that and other moments like that, that get kind of hard on the course? Yeah, so up to this point of the race, you've probably had countless people telling you, go, 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 you can do it. You're awesome. And there's no shortage of external motivation up to this point. And then it sounds like all of a sudden you're in this space where you could probably hear a pin drop. You're and literally it, alone with your thoughts. And when it becomes really quiet, all of a sudden you're gonna feel that void. And in that void, some doubts might creep in. And when doubts creep in, your confidence will go down and that'll hurt your performance. So how can you boost your confidence at this critical juncture? 
I would say, again, a little bit of self-talk. Tell yourself something that is real, that your brain will believe, so that your body will believe it and you'll feel it. So what can you tell yourself at that point? How about, how about this one, guys? How about this one? Do the math for yourselves. How many miles will you have run before the marathon race? It'll probably be, I don't know, between 500 and 1,200, something like that. Do it for yourselves. And when you cross that bridge, tell yourself, I have ran X miles in preparation for this race. If I just stick to the plan, the results will take care of themselves. That's the truth. And your mind and your body will believe it. Your confidence will go up and you should be able to keep your momentum. Uh, while we're on the topic, I just want to do a little plug for math. I like, I, this is one of my favorite things to do to distract myself from having like bad moments is math. If, if you're, if you like math, if you're like a math brained person, okay, I'm not suggesting everyone, this is going to work for everyone, but if you like to do math, it's like, you know, you're not just figure out a, your pace for, you know, X number of miles or, you know, just do these like calculations in your head. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, I'm all the way over here. I liked it for distraction. So you could actually try and add up all those miles, you know, okay, all my long runs, how many, how many miles did I do with long runs last weekend? I did this at, and you're adding it up. And like, that really does make the time go by. It's just another sort of tool in your toolbox. If, if you're into that. Yeah. Confidence equals preparation plus attitude plus effort. So remind yourself of your preparation. All right. Um, let's talk about negative splitting. Um, going back to Scott for this, because we we're just talking about pacing. So what's, if, if that's our goal is to negative split this race, which means to run the second half of it faster than the first half, what's the best approach for that, especially with a race like New York City, where it is not even and flat. Right. So, I mean, this kind of just builds on what I was saying before. So we want to think, uh, first of all, just in terms of negative splits, you don't want to be negative splitting by five, 10 minutes. That means you've got time out on the course. I'm talking like, say you want to run a four hour marathon, you run the first half in 201 and the second half in 159. Something, you know, something like that. Um, but again, this just comes from just being very patient um, hopefully maybe you've even like built this, um, into some of your longer runs or some of your runs where you're kind of picking it up maybe a little bit at the end, which just helps, uh, you know, practicing what you, how you want to perform, building a little bit of confidence in that. But, um, but then, uh, but yeah, like if you just sit back for those first few miles, um, then you kind of will just naturally start to pick it up later on as you're feeling better. Um, that's been my experience. I think that's just really how it works. It's not just like, up, oh, I'm at mile 18. Here we go. Uh, you just kind of gradually, uh, because you've been patient, it just kind of gradually starts to pick up as you get moving throughout the race. Um, so, um, yeah, and just to plug the negative splitting and the patience in the early part of the race in terms of how your body actually uses fuel, it is super important, and that is why it gradually picks up because if you are running a little bit slower pace in the beginning, you will conserve more fuel. So you will have that later on in the race. So if you just, you know, if you're like, oh, this is the pace I want to run and right out the bat, you know, you like just go for it. 
that it's not a good strategy to have a successful end of your race because um, you will burn through your fuel stores much more quickly. Um, and then likely you will you know, need to be consuming more. You'll maybe have some GI distress with that. A lot of things can go wrong. So definitely, 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 you know, take those crowds going over the Verrazano Bridge as a blessing to like hold you back because it can be very easy to be like, I feel good. I'm going to feel good the whole way. Like go. So, yes. Also banking time does not work. It is not a viable race strategy. Uh, building up a cushion because say you feel really great in the first few miles. Uh, that is because you've trained properly and you've recovered and tapered properly. You should feel good. That doesn't mean that you can just put that time in a little bank. So you have a cushion for the second half. That's not how marathoning works. Don't do it. If you run a, a mile that's 30 seconds faster than what your plan pace was, put on the brakes. It's way too early for that. Um, let's dig into nutrition a little bit more while we kind of bridge the topic a little bit. Um, so hopefully we've all been practicing our nutrition on our long runs to kind of know what we're going to do on race day. But um, what is a good sort of like rule of thumb for how we should be putting nutrition into our bodies during the race and hydration? Um, and all that for, for those maybe new to the topic. Um, so I believe the hydration strategy is much, much, much more important than the fuel strategy. You know your fuel source. You've probably had that. Tons of people have told you, like, you need, you know, this amount of calories or, you know, this number of gels every this many minutes. But hydration is often forgotten and um you know during the race it can be easily overlooked especially if it is cooler on race day morning but it is very 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 important to stay on top of your hydration constantly throughout the race because one of the things that happens if you don't is that you know early signs of dehydration are an irritated gi tract and that means you're not going to want to take in your fuel source when it's time to so keeping that hydration coming in steadily and then having your times, whether it's by, um, by mile marker or by, you know, time, you know, like every, you know, 45 minutes or an hour or whatever, you're having like a gel or a block or like whatever it is that you do and you've been practicing having the specific times that you take in the calories and the rest of the time you're just consistently, you know, in and not chugging like again, like, you know, sipping your hydration. Um, and just as far as, you know, like logistics go um, on the course, there will be water, there will be Gatorade. There will also be science in sport gels. I don't know exactly what mile marker those will be, but the water and the Gatorade will be consistent throughout every, every hydration station. There, there are no salt tabs on the course. Um, the science and sport gels, I think, do you have some electrolytes? No, maybe not. Well, in any case, you shouldn't be relying on what's on the course. Like bring your own stuff. If you like science and sport, you've used that, you've practiced that great, grab it, but like bring your own, come prepared. Um, but water and Gatorade, if you are not a Gatorade person, that's fine. That just means you have to BYO, right? So you have either a handheld bottle. My favorite thing to do, my sort of like pro tip, I do this with all marathons now, is I don't, I don't like to hold a bottle, but um, but I will, but I don't bring my like reusable handheld. I get like a Poland spring sports bottle. Um, like one of those with the sport cap 
I drink about half of it, the, you know, the morning of, and then I fill the other half with Gatorade or, you know, whatever your, your hydration is. And I start with that. That's like, so I don't have to think about the water stops in the beginning of the race. This is just what I do. This is not for everyone. Um, but it's just like one less thing to think about. You have it on you. It's like the grip is nice on those Poland spring bottles, you know, like it's ergonomic. Um, and then you just throw it away when you're done with it. And then you hit the, the water stops for the remainder of the race. Um, that works well for me. Um, salt tabs are not going to be on the course. So if you have practice with salt and use salt, you'll just, you know, have those in your pocket ready to go. It also makes it kind of easier to take those down because you have your water on you always in the beginning. Um, so that's my, just my pro tip, um, having, having run many marathons now, um, what else about nutrition and hydration? Um, I, I have another warning about this, which is there are bananas on the course. Um, like as you get up into the higher miles, um, I have a friend once who decided that she just meet, like she was feeling, she wasn't having a good race and her solution was just to like eat all the bananas. So <laughs> I think she ended up eating like three bananas over the course of like the, the end of the race. And like, it completely, it was too much potassium. It was like, she overdid it. GI distress, horrible, like did not end well. Um, so bananas are fine if you use them and, you know, have practice with them and you like them and, but like they're cut into halves for a reason. So just <laughs> don't over banana. It's, um, well, we, we're, we're going to do Q and A at the end, but if we have like a relevant question to the to the topic we can someone has a question, yeah. Has a question? So, oh yeah yep so they will they will they, it might be updated now um they'll definitely tell you where there are a lot of them so you're basically not, every yeah. mile yeah yeah No, yeah, it gets, it gets, especially as you get into more into the race, they're like pretty frequent. Um, but yes, the map, it'll show you on the map. It should show you exactly where they are. Yeah. Um, all right. What else can we talk about the race itself? Um, well, what if, you know, okay, here, here's the sort of nutrition and also PT question. So I'm going to field this towards um, both Nikki and Sam. Um, cramping. How do we avoid it? And what if it happens while we're running? Want to start with how to avoid? Sure. Um, I mean, if cramping was an issue for you during your training this summer, hopefully you came up with a strategy that helped you to manage that. But um, cramping can be from a variety of things, but one of those could be hydration related. So if you do start cramping, I mean, the first thing I would say is, you know, if, if this has ever been a problem for you, I would either have some salt tabs on hand to um, pop a couple of those, or there's a product called Hot Shot, I think it's called, is that what it's called? Do you know? Anyway, yeah, Hot Shot, um, which tends to work really, really well for people who are cramping in the moment. It's not like a, you can't take it before and it will prevent you from cramping, but if you happen to be cramping, this thing tends to work um, really quickly. I, I can't remember what that, there's like some cayenne pepper and 
there's like not much stuff in it so it's still kind of a mystery why it works for people but it does also pickle they have like pickle juice shots too those kinds of things can help um if um you know and sometimes it's just fatigue so maybe you do need a little extra calories at that point in time but um hopefully if cramping was a problem you'd you had solved it by now, but staying on top of your hydration regularly from the beginning can help avoid that. Uh, yeah, I think it's one of those issues that in the moment might feel uh, pretty muscular, which similar to the wall, which we'll talk about. But um, I think it is, I agree, it's mostly fueling and hydration. But when it does happen, if it's, especially if it's a side stitch, like try to breathe through it, big inhales, exhales, like get those ribs down, really focus on like, Maybe what your form looks like, or are we starting to get a little bit sloppy there? Um, and just try to breathe through it, which is much, much harder uh, to do than actually said. Um, and then in terms of if we're talking calf cramping or something like that, it's also a tough one because um, you're going to probably want to stop and stretch it, um, which sometimes is a grave, grave mistake because as soon as you stop, it's pretty hard to restart. Um, but maybe kind of redirect and think a little bit more about fueling and hydration. Okay, Sam, what if we experience a new pain while we're running? Um, not a cramp, just some other kind of pain. What, how do we, how do we like figure out the best course of action for ourselves in that moment? That one's a really hard one, right? Because number one goal here is to finish the New York City Marathon. Um, but when we're talking pains in terms of racing and running, I'm always going to go back to that pain scale. And uh, whether we're talking about it in numbers and one through 10, or whether we're talking about it in colors, green through red, I would say green zone is probably your like one to three or four, right? It's like something that creeps up more, maybe more discomfort than an actual pain, but you notice it, right? Like it's talking to you a little bit. Um, that yellow zone is more that like, three to six ish, right? Like maybe not changing your gait just yet, but, um, it's hard to distract yourself away from it. And then upwards of that seven to 10, uh, this, this is when it gets really hard because it's how, what does this feel like? Right? Like, is that, does this feel like uh, if you're in the red zone, it's, I don't want to tell you to stop. That's the thing. But like, if it's really bad and you find yourself like, I need to go into the medical tent thing about like, we are not doing long-term damage to finish the New York city marathon, right? Like that is the number one thing. Your health is always going to come first. Um, if you are hobbling along and you cannot put weight through your right leg, it is not your day. It is time to stop. I hope I wish that on none of you on the race day, it's, it's not going to happen to you. Um, but try to keep gait as normal as possible. And then just have that real conversation with you as to like, where is this pain really falling? Thanks, Sam. Um, so you mentioned the wall before. What's the wall? What, what is the wall do like what, what happens there? Are we definitely going to hit it? What do we do if we do thoughts, thoughts on the wall? Um, I personally think the wall is, is mostly a, a mental and a nutrition thing. Um, it's going to feel really muscular, uh, but Nikki, do you want to talk about what it, what it actually is? I agree that I think it's, you know, can be mental, but also nutrition related. And I think you don't have to hit the wall. There doesn't have to be a wall. 
Um, and I think one of the best ways to not have a wall in your race is in those first, you know, 10 miles in, in, in being patient and keeping it, you know, just feel really good, you know, um, in holding back in those first miles and staying on top, you know, again, you're going to feel good. So you might feel like maybe I don't need to take this gel right now. Maybe I don't need to drink my hydration. No, you need to stay on plan because if you don't, you will see the wall. Stay on plan, even if you feel real good and you think, I don't, I probably don't need that right now. No, you need it. Yeah. Anybody else? Wall, wall comments? Scared now, so I may not run this race anymore. I, uh, I actually don't know what the wall feels like. This is my first marathon, but this is what I do know. I do know what helps athletes perform optimally when they're under most duress, whether that duress is mental or physical. Uh, and the wall sounds like a combo of two. So here's when things go wrong for you mentally under duress. Your monkey mind that has, you know, that's trying to look out for you, is trying to keep you safe, is gonna instill some fantasies in your head. It's gonna have you time travel forward and say, oh my gosh, this is gonna be terrible. I'm not gonna hit my time goal. I'm gonna be embarrassed. I'm gonna be exiled from my society and die of starvation in the forest. Or go backwards in time. Oh my God, why did I sign up for this? I must be an idiot. I don't deserve to live, right? So how do you how do you stop your mind from going forward in time and catastrophizing or going back in time and ruminating so that you can perform your best? And that's by being present in the right here right now. If you've meditated before, you know what I'm talking about. It's about being mindful. And so how can you do that when you're hitting the wall or during whatever segment of the race is the hardest for you? And that is focus on your breath. Focus on your breath. By the time you do this race, you will know inside out exactly how your breath should feel when you're hitting your target pace. You'll know exactly what that rush of cold air feels like in the inside of your cheeks. You'll know if you're breathing too fast or too slow. Remind yourself, even if you have to tell yourself out loud in your head, breath, breath, breath. And it'll keep your mind from going forward or backward in time. And it'll help you stay on pace. Rely less on your watch or the anxiety provoking machine right there and more on how you feel. Thank you for that. Actually, I have a sort of related question that just occurred to me. Um, you were repeating breath, breath, breath. A lot of people um, will think about or talk about having like a mantra for the race. Um, is that something you suggest? What does that look like? Do you have any, any thoughts, suggestions for a good mantra? Um, you know, obviously it's deeply personal, but you know, never, never hurts to have a few suggestions. I, I find it useful to kind of sort of have some options beforehand so that when you're in the moment, when you need it, you're not like trying to use the creative part of your brain, which is not working at that point. So 
You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. There, there are some key ingredients in the recipe of a good mantra for all sports, including running. And those are if they're brief, if they're instructional in some way, and if they're positive. And by positive, I don't mean, you know, gee golly, beautiful. I mean, like, they're telling you what to do, not what not to do. So I was telling you, breath, breath, that's a mantra. Quick, it's instructional, it's positive, it's telling you what to do. If you want to make it a little bit more nuanced, you can make it breath, effort, zone. Breath, effort, zone. Because those are the th three things that are going to help you stay focused. Focusing on your breath is the effort that I'm feeling under my waist and my legs where it should be that I trained that for this marathon pace. And am I in the zone? In other words, is my monkey mind going forward in time or backward in time? Wipe that out if I can. Let go of those thoughts. Come back to my breath. So breath, effort, zone. I, I use mantras in my racing and I've I've you know done four Ironman, so I've done had some like grueling races. Um and they change all the time, no matter what, you know, but I had just have some on hand that um one one you know stretch of racing I used to do like um there was a commercial on with this song that was like keep on keeping on and so I just like kept like that was like something when I got to a low point just saying like keep, and I would like think about my my footsteps and in, in, like kind of with the beat with it to keep me going and like I, yeah, I could just keep repeating that forever and ever um and then there are other ones where it's like I'll come up with something like I am strong I am capable you know I am powerful powerful, whatever it is, you know, to like, just pick you up so that you don't go to the negative place. Like, oh God, I've got 10 more miles left. What am I going to do? Yeah, I was just going to share my most recent mantras because I also uh, am a big believer in them. Um, and one of mine for the marathon I just did was I am strong. Uh, it was I am bleeping strong, um, <laughs> which was just a way of reminding myself that I did the work, that I was in shape, and this is what I trained for. Um, and then a one that I've come come by for my last couple marathons is to um, to remind myself to embrace discomfort. And so I just keep repeating that in my head. And that's just to remember that what I'm doing is hard and it's going to be uncomfortable and that you don't do big things without discomfort. So I'm going to embrace that. I also like related to that, uh, res respect the distance right? Mar marathons are hard. They are. So you got to just, yes, it's good. It's supposed to be hard. Um, if it wasn't, you know, more people would, would do them. Um, and then I also, I like to just sort of like count back. This sort of goes to Jorge's, um, you know, staying present. Um, just, just be in the mile you're in. I, I learned this, like, you know, I've done all these marathons, but I learned this like most actually doing a hundred K this past summer where I was thinking, oh my God, I have so many miles to go because I did. That was so not a useful thought. It was just, just be where you're at. Just be in that mile, be in that kilometer, whatever, however you're counting, just be there. And then when you're not there anymore, you'll be somewhere else and then you'll be there. So, I mean, my, my favorite part um, of a marathon or my favorite sort of like milestone is actually mile 16, because what I say to myself at mile 16 is, okay, I just have 10 miles left. And then I just start counting backwards. I'm at 16, I'm at 10 miles, 10 miles, 10 miles. And then I hit the 17 mile mark and I go, all right, now it's just nine miles, nine miles, nine miles, nine miles. And I just keep going like that. And I find that it doesn't work every time, but it works a lot of the time. 
Um, again, if you like numbers and you like counting, that might work for you. Um, kind of going along the same topic, I find that every training block there, everyone probably has a distance that they are super comfortable with. Like if they've had a really busy day at work, they go out and maybe it's four miles and that's kind of like your home distance, right? I find that as soon as I get to that point of the course, that's kind of like, maybe it's not gonna be where I'm necessarily kicking, which I know we'll talk about depending on what your distance is, but that's when I start getting in the mindset of like, I have done this so many times. Um, for me, it's six miles because it's one loop around the park. So when I get to six miles, I am like, I can run Central Park in any shape and form. I have run it in some pretty compromised states before, not in that way, but like in, like I have felt it on weeks where I've had the highest volume. I felt it on weeks where my legs just feel like lead. Um, I'm super tired. I'm super stressed. I've had a really busy day at work. So I just kind of continue to channel that to myself of like, I can run this distance on any day. And like today is no different. So kind of go into that, like pick your mile, whether it's three, whether it's four, whether it's 10, whatever that is. And then just like continuously convincing yourself that you can do this, even though in the moment it might feel like you can't. Yeah, I was, I actually utilized that one on Sunday. I was going, you know, okay, seven miles up. That's a Thursday. That's yeah. a Thursday. That's fine. That's a normal Thursday. I run seven miles usually on Thursdays. That's a Thursday. And then I got to, you know, down to five and I'm like, that's a Friday. Great. That's a Friday. I Fridays happen every week. So, you know, it's like, however you need to like convince yourself, however you need to think about it, that's like familiar to you. Super, super helpful. Um, can vouch for that. Um, all right. So let, let's talk about finishing this thing, finishing this marathon, getting to the end. We've got you know, just a few miles to go. Um, at what point do we think it's appropriate to to really focus on like picking up the effort? Um, if we feel like we can, what's a good thought? You want to weigh in on that? And then Sam? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're really in touch with how you're doing in your body and you're really um, able to listen to it, you know, I think pretty early on how you're doing. I don't think if you hit the wall, it's not, it's not a surprise, you know, you can, you can feel it coming for a little bit. Um, so I don't know. I think by the end of first ab, you have a pretty good idea if you've got it or not. Um, it's not like, you know, you're 21 miles in, 22 miles in, and then you're done for, you know, uh, but I would say once you get up that fifth ab hill, especially that's when you can really take off. You have two and a half miles left at that point. You're good. Um, if you're, but again, on first ab, by the end of first ab, I think you have some sense of how things are gonna go. Um, it's not like you're running over that bridge in the Bronx and then it's just literally running into a wall and your race is over kind of thing, so. Uh, I agree. I think that the beginning of, I think like after first is when you should start thinking about it. I think the beginning of fifth ab is a little bit too early because fifth ab can get pretty dark. Um, but I think as you're getting closer to engineer's gate, um, I will plug our finish line to your station. It's the perfect spot to kick. Uh, we're on like one Oh third at that point where you're pretty close to engineers and then kind of to Ferris point, like you enter the park and then you go down cat Hill eventually, which hurts, but going downhill, you might be able to kind of pick up a little bit of momentum there and then kind of let that carry you through. Anyone else want to weigh in on the, on the end? No? Okay. Um, great. Congratulations. You've run the marathon. You did it. 
Um, so let's talk about actually finishing when you finish. Um, it's they're gonna you're you're gonna have people kind of yelling at you lightly to keep moving, keep moving. So please keep moving. Um it you know will feel interesting, probably, maybe it won't, maybe it will. Um, but keep moving. The good news is the exit. Um, normally or usually in the past, you've had to just like go on this like horribly long walk and you're like, when am I getting out of here? The exit, my insider information is the exit is sooner than it has been in previous years. I can't remember where exactly. If it still feels long, don't get mad at me. It is okay. Like you do have to walk a little bit, um, but it is better than years past. So consider yourselves lucky that you are running it this year. Um, you'll get, you know, you'll get your medal, you'll get your, your poncho, your food and everything they're going to hand you. Um, and then, and then you'll leave and have to try and figure out how to find your friends and your family and how to move. Um, so Scott, if you have any tips on like how to get out of the park smoothly, and then, um, Sam, if you can tell us like, what do we do if we're feeling physically terrible? Should, how do we prevent soreness? What's a good sort of post-marathon approach? Getting out of the park smoothly. I mean, I've always been like in the past, if you check the bag, you had to walk farther. And so I, I've always checked the bag. So I've always been part of the long death march uh, out of the park. But it's really good for your body to do that because you put it through hell for however long and to just suddenly stop is a big shock to the system. So you kind of have to ease it back um, while everything gets back into balance. Um, so, I mean, this is actually, I guess, more nutrition, but, um, you know, start getting hydration back into start nibbling on the things in your recovery pack and just keep moving. Uh, as she said, like, um, if you stop for even a second, well, maybe a couple seconds, somebody will immediately be on you asking you if you're okay. So, <laughs> uh, but that, but it's because just keep moving, um, resist the urge to sit for at least a little while. Yeah, and I'll just add to the nutrition piece. It is super, super, super important to get something in as soon as possible. Running, the activity of running is really hard on the GI system. So you need to, the sooner you get something in, the better it will feel. The longer you wait, the harder it's gonna be and the worse you're gonna feel. So if it's, you know, if, if you check a bag and you have, I don't know what's going on with the check luggage, the bags this year, if you know anything about that, but um, you know, if you have something, you know, whether it's like a, a protein powder and, um, or a chocolate milk or something that, you know, will be okay for the duration that you can have and, or if they, whatever they give you in, in the back, like the sooner you can get something in, do that, and then try to have a full meal, you know, within an hour to two hours if possible. But I'm telling you, the longer you wait to put food in your system, the harder it's going to be and the worse it's going to feel. Uh, we can kind of full circle back to what we were talking about in the start village is after the marathon, as much as you're not going to want to uh, keep moving, it doesn't need to be, you don't need to go do a tour of Manhattan, but if you just sitting in one position, every time you stand up, it's going to be pretty brutal. So um, walk to the restaurant you're going to next day, like maybe walk to go get coffee, like little feats of activity might help a little bit um, in terms of soft tissue mobility, stuff like that. You can definitely, if you're feeling up to it, you can gently use your foam roller. Um, if you feel inclined, uh, 
couple of days after you probably won't want to be touched. So in terms of like deep tissue and stuff like that, I would give it a couple hours, um, especially deep tissue, but like a light massage, maybe 48 hours after. Um, and then some light mobility, but again, like movement is kind of key. So like just continuing to facilitate that blood flow is going to really be helpful as much as you don't want to do it in the moment. Um, the, any sort of compression is also super great after the race. So whether it's compression that you've got or the mobility voodoo bands or compression or the Normatec compression boots, uh, maybe on a lighter setting, but those will all be great to just continue to bring blood flow to those muscles. Okay, thank you. Um, I have uh, one sort of final question and then we'll open it up um, for you all to ask questions. Um, this question is for Jorge and sorry, it's a surprise question because this wasn't on the, the pre the pre-screener. Um, so sometimes after you run a marathon, especially if it's, if it's your first one, there's this, this big buildup, right? You've been training so hard. You're so excited. And then you do the damn thing and it's over and you're like, Oh, now what? Right. You get like, a, you get a little sad. You get, we call this the post-marathon blues. It is a phenomenon. What are, how do we cope with this? What do we do? How do we get through the post-marathon blues? For different people. Um, generally, I would recommend celebrating after the race with people. Um, reward yourself. You've done a crazy thing. And practice gratitude. Thank the people that supported you throughout this crazy endeavor that helped make it possible for you in, in however way that was. Celebrate and be gracious. It'll boost your mood. True story. The, the whole gratitude thing, like it's a thing, but it, it's a thing because it works. Um, and you can like, you can carry that through, I think for like a week or two, just like thanking people for supporting you because it does take a village and it's a nice thing to thank those people. So I love that one. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, another thing to remember is after the marathon, especially if we don't exactly hit the time goal that you're going for, um, just trying to continue to remind yourself of what you did and how amazing it was. And, um, as much as you'd like to think everyone around you really cares about your marathon time, they don't, they just think it's really cool. You ran a marathon, um, this path. And just for some perspective, I think we're so in the New York city running community with some really amazing runners around us. We kind of lose perspective about how some outside people don't necessarily know that, know anything about times of a marathon, um, one of my friends this past weekend thought that I got third place in the Chicago marathon. If anybody knows, I'm not at that level at all, but they just have absolutely no clue. So like, just appreciate what you just did and uh, try to not get too, try not to beat yourself up over missing a time by a couple of minutes. And just adding to that also, I'm, I would like to talk a lot about the process um, I mean, training for a marathon, you spend the majority of your time in this whole journey over 16, 18, however many weeks doing the training, not doing the racing part of it. So be proud of the work that you did. Um, even if it didn't um, turn out on race day, a lot of things have to click into place on race day and they don't always do it, but you put in the work and you should be proud of it and you'll learn from it and try again. Um, I just want to add one thing because I know we've spent a lot of time um, talking about time goals and if you don't make your time goal and how to make your time goal. I know there's a lot of first time marathoners in this crowd. And I just want to say, it's okay if you don't have a time goal, 
like finishing the marathon is a perfectly appropriate and amazing goal. Um, or maybe you have a goal that's just not time-based. Maybe it's like have the most fun you've ever had. Maybe it's, you know, some like that's good too. So I know we've talked a lot, a lot about that, um, but like, don't feel like you should have um, a time goal. Like, oh yeah, yeah, you can walk. Some people do run walks, some people walk the whole, like there's, you can, there's, there's, I hate this expression. There's a million ways to skin a cat. Like, I don't know who's skinning cats in the first place and are there really a million ways, but, but like there really are, there's a, a lot of ways to get this done. Um, and we just want you to have a good experience and have fun. Um, so with that said, are there any questions that we didn't answer that you, that you have now? Just in, in keeping with us, because there's a lot of people who are first timers. Um, I hope you don't mind if I give some advice of uh, put your name somewhere on your on your shirt or your hat. Um, and uh, because you will feel like Tom Brady at the Super Bowl on, on, on Marathon Sunday, because you'll have people going, oh, Lisa, blah, 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 keep on going. And um, also uh, an, another tip is, I'm sure most of you will have people rooting for you and out there. Find a place where you're going to meet because you're going to spot them quicker than they'll spot you. So like my best friend always meets me at Brooklyn Academy of Music. It's the first place he meets me. So I know exactly where to look. So because it's 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 very chaotic otherwise. So come up with something like that. So. And know what they're wearing too. So you're going to show them what you're wearing. But like if your mom is going to wear orange pants, like know that so you can look for her. Yes. Um, yeah. And everyone wants to go to the base of the bridge at Queensboro. It is chaotic. And everyone will be like, oh, well, I'm going to bring a balloon. Yeah, so is everybody else. So <laughs> make sure, like, tell them to move back a little bit. Or, and again, like, maybe something that is a little bit more identifiable. And be specific about the location where you're yeah. going to meet, too. Exactly. Not like, right. yeah, what side of the street, which exact block. I've made that mistake with people cheering for me before yeah. and never Same found them. Yeah, so definitely figure out what color you are and then look at the map and figure out where you're going to be. I will also add, um, we I'm just going to do a little plug for a blog post we put out like a year ago for like spectating tips. Um, it's on our blog, finishlinept.com. We'll reshare it. This is, I, it's, there's a lot of, it's spectating is a sport also, um, especially for the New York City Marathon. So there's a lot of good advice in there that you can distribute to your people who are going to be spectating for you so they can do a good job. Yeah, I'm a, the champion's streaker. I've got 45 finishes in New York. So, well, why aren't you on our panel? So, so I want to pass on some tips, especially for first timers. Everyone says, oh, take it easy to start. Well, what is that? Eight minute pace, 12 minutes of pace? Well, one way to figure it out is if you take world records for say a marathon and world record for a half marathon and divide it, you get a factor, say 2.1 or something. 
Um, another thing is if you take your half marathon race time, double it and add the time it takes to do a mile and a half. Let's say you do a two hour half marathon, double that is four hours. That's about nine minutes a mile. Let's call it 10. One and a half times 10 is 15. So you add 15 to four hours, you get 415. Um, if in other races, you'd be running with some friends, but most of the people you'll see are gonna not be your friends, but they'll be from other countries. And it's a great opportunity to chat with someone from Portugal or China or wherever. So if you see someone who looks unusual, say, hey, where are you from? Right. <laughs> It's a great way to get diverted, might learn something and have lots of fun. Um, one thing about if you're having a great race and you wanna do negative splits, I got an idea from Runner's World years ago. They said after maybe 15 or 20 miles, if you pass someone, that's number one. If you pass the second person, he's the second person. Uh, the first time I did that, the last person I passed was like number 243. So there was no pain. Oh, he's going to be 242 and he's 4243. Uh, if you have a terrible race and you're trying to walk up upstairs, it hurts a bit. But what hurts even more? You guys know? Going downstairs. I've done 200 ultra marathons and I learned that if you go downstairs backwards. If you go backwards, hold on to the railing. If someone laughs, say, you try it. <laughs> Thank you for that. My question was the colors. Is that just in Brooklyn or is it through the whole course? So it's like the color is on your bib, but it only really matters um, up until mile like eight and a half, nine. That's when all three colors converge and also when it gets very narrow on Lafayette. But yes, it, it only really matters in terms of side of the street um, up until mile eight and a half, nine. Thank you. Or like eight. It's eight. It's by, yeah, bam. Mile eight. Thank you. Um, I have a question about the shoes because I tried the carbon plate uh, sneakers last weekend. I feel great. I run much faster than in at a lower heart rate, but I do feel my ankle pain and the inside knee pain. I was like, because there's still four weeks till the race. Shall I, you know, go? run with my you know normal stability shoes or I can build my ankle strength, <laughs> do more strength training to feed that carbon plate shoes. Yeah. Um, I know this is a hard one because everyone wants to wear them because you do feel much faster. Um, I would say first with the, the Nike specifically is make sure they're, this is not as much of an issue now that they've changed the material, but make sure they're tied tight enough. The first material they made you didn't really want to like yank on them and make them tight. And it was causing a lot of ankle instability, therefore pain. So definitely make sure that you're doing that and give them another try. But if you do them again and you're getting that same ankle and foot pain, if that ankle and foot pain persists during the marathon, it's not going to matter what sneakers you're wearing at that point, right? Like you're going to really wish that you had your trusty steed trainers on at that point. So Give them one more shot. If you're still getting the same pain, I would definitely just stick with what you've known or what you've been practicing these last couple of months in. Anyone else, Scott, would you agree? Yeah. I had a question for Jorge. So <laughs> when I am running and I get, you know, the wall or whatever, I feel whenever 
I'm focusing on the present. All I'm focusing on is how much this sucks and it hurts. So what tips do you have for that? Because I am almost too present in my body versus like thinking about like, oh, well, if you just keep going, it's not that bad. I mean, I think I probably just need to suck it up. Like it's a marathon. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, this, 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 this kind of links back to a question earlier. I, I think it came from you. Uh, you know, do you, um, do you turn an emotion that doesn't feel so good into one that ramps you up and makes you feel excited? Some people can do that. Uh, I've done that in races where I'm miserable. And so what I tell myself in that situation is, this sucks. Hell yeah. Hoorah. Uh, this that is going to be work. legendary. That sounds, yeah. <laughs> I think that'll work for me. That, that might work for you. Yeah, but, but you're doing it right. You're being present. You're sitting in the discomfort as you should. I also think, sorry, uh, I also just um, something that I neglected to say about the last six and a half miles or whatever. You know, if getting to the next mile marker seems insurmountable, that's the time to break everything up even into even smaller chunks. You know, look at, try to get to the building, but that water stop in the distance, the next block, Try to count to 100. That's what I do. I, without even realizing it, I start counting to 100 over and over again. And the goal is just to get to the next 100, to get to the next 100. So, also, just um, physically speaking, uh, if you want to try and throw in a surge, um, it's about 10, 15, 20 seconds of running faster. Um, and what that does is it taps into a different energy source. It kind of forces your muscles to fire a little differently. Um, and it can just be enough to kind of snap your legs and your brain out of whatever funk you're feeling at the time. It's worth a shot. Hi, guys. Um, first of all, thank you so much for being here tonight. And thank you guys for putting this on. It's an amazing panel. Um, appreciate that. So this is kind of a specific question, I guess maybe for Nikki, but really for anyone. I know nothing new on racing, right? But here's my thing. So I love coffee. I drink it every single day. But I'm also not a morning person. Right. So when I get up and I go on the long runs, like I'm only up for like 30, like 45 minutes before I go on my long run. So I don't have my coffee. <laughs> right. Because I don't want anything to go wrong. But like on on marathon day, we wait for like four, five hours before we run. So what are, what's your advice for kind of managing the nothing new on race day nutrition versus what you have to actually do on marathon day? And if you have half a cup of coffee early, maybe is that the best strategy because you'll have time? I mean, I'll let Nikki address this more in detail, but just for me personally, as somebody who has a very sensitive stomach uh, and is very regimented in, on race mornings, I do coffee three hours out um, and I have not, knock on wood, had a problem in 31 marathons. So that works for me, but I've also practiced it many times at this point, so. Have you ever had coffee in the morning and then done a run? Like not necessarily even your long run, but yeah, yeah. And it's been fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason to not drink coffee if you're a regular coffee drinker um, on the morning of. I would give, you know, have a time frame where you definitely decide to stop. Like three hours is a good chunk of time and that you're eating food uh, with it. That, that will be helpful. Cause you're worried it's going to irritate your stomach or is that? I'm worried that I'm going to have to like go 
You'll have plenty of time in the morning. That's right? what I so thought. I was hoping. You know, like, yeah, even like two hours before race start or that you have to enter corral is a good time frame. But you can definitely drink and you should. I would, I encourage, coffee, caffeine is an ergogenic aid. So I encourage you to drink your coffee, especially if you do that every day. Great. Thank you. I just want to add one thing as a fellow non-morning person. Um, just like if, if you haven't done it before, right? We still have three and a half weeks. So you do have an opportunity to really practice it. I, yeah, like I know it's going to suck to wake up like extra early. Like, believe me, I feel you. <laughs> but like, do it once. Just do it once. So you like, then you'll get the peace of mind. But I would say you don't have to wake up extra early. That's what you better test. Those are you doing Um, what are your tips? Like, let's say you have to use a restroom during the race and, um, I don't know, I guess just wait, I guess waiting online and trying to stay in the groove, like what are your tips then? Or I'll, I'll, no one looks like they want to answer this, but I will, I have had like, un, like bad bathroom experiences during marathons. I'm just gonna, I'm not going to get into more detail than that. I'll just leave it there. Um, so listen to your body, right? So like if, if you really have to use the bathroom while you were running, um, the porta potties, there are porta potties on the course. Um, they're not as frequent as the hydration stations, um, but they are there. And so if you feel like, you know, like you, you know, your body, you know, yourself, like you can probably judge how long you can wait, but like, yeah, even if there's a line, like stop, stop and use the restroom if you feel like you need to like you you'll thank yourself later like <laughs> it'll work out better um that would be that would be my advice anyone else just it's it just again brings up the importance of practicing a routine because if you really practice a routine and have it rock solid then hopefully you won't have this issue so i also one other thing just personally like if you've never taken a sports drink with gels at the same time don't do it for the first time on race day. That's something I learned the hard way, which could send you to the bathroom. All right, so I think that is all of the questions. I wanna just first off, thank our panel here. They were amazing. I hope everybody got some tips. Um, and we are going to do our raffle. I know some people snuck out, um, so they're lost if I draw their number. I actually have an extra, Jeff. We're good. One fell on the floor. Yep. All right. So we are raffling off a recovery package. Um, it's going to be five 30 minute compression sleeve sessions here at finish line. So use those before and after your race. Uh, I've got number 405025. <laughs> oh, it's 405, which I think everybody's got. And then zero two five. You're a patient. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, all right, so we have four zero five zero three five zero three five. And just so everybody knows, we also are going to be at one hundred and fifth and fifth. That's our cheer station. One hundred five, one hundred fifth and fifth. It's right where you need us. It's we are on runners left. Um, we also have a marathon cryo um, and compression sleeve seal going on the Friday before and Monday after. Um, so back to the raffle. We're going 405029. 015. All right, we got a winner. All right, thanks again, everybody, for coming. I hope you enjoyed the panel. Good, have a good race, everybody. It's off. <laughs>